We travel this road together. From the busyness of every day, we gather once a week to remember who we are, to dream of who we might become. And as companions on this journey, we share the milestones we meet along the way. Individual moments of joy and sorrow become shared moments of comfort and celebration. And we share this journey across differences of belief and opinion because we value diversity and because we care for one another. Today, as we take next steps, let us notice our fellow travellers, the burdens that they carry, the songs that inspire their hearts. As we gather in beloved community, let us open the holy haven of our hearts. Let us share the sacred places of our souls, for we are pilgrims who share a common path. We travel this road together. So hello everybody and welcome. Welcome to Essex Church, where this community of Kensington Unitarians has its spiritual home. Those opening words were adapted from a prayer by Tess Baumberger, and they were reminding us that we travel together in this mystery that is life. So I invite you now to take this moment to take a conscious breath, to, to calm and centre ourselves, to recognise that we are here today at this moment, in this place, together. We've arrived here on this January morning with our own concerns, our own particular version of the human life story. Here, may the burdened find their load lightened. May the weary find some rest. May the troubled know some peace. And may our spirits be inspired and uplifted by our company with one another in this peaceful space made holy by our time together here this day. And our chalice is lit. It's a symbol of our worldwide progressive religious community of Unitarians and Unitarian Universalists. And I've lit it in the hope that ours might be a house of light, a beacon shining out to all those who seek, a welcome to all those who feel the need to put down roots and to assert their being belonging in community, a community of light and love, open to all. As I call on the spirit of life and love, shining within each of us this day, be with us in our lives and illuminate this, our time of worship, that insight and clarity might shine through us, brightening our lives and the lives of all those around us. And we pray that we may not feel sure who or what we pray to. Some speak of God or the great mystery of Lord or Goddess or the Divine. 
and some of us cannot put a name to something so vast, so unknowable. But let's not be put off by the inability to name the nameless. No, let us be able in quiet moments like this to allow ourselves space for reflection. To allow ourselves chance to relate with something that is greater than ourselves. To relate with something that encourages us to be the best that we can possibly be. And to make the best of this gift of life that we're given. So I invite you to think of something you wish had been different in the last few days or so in your life, if anything. You might be aware of how you might have said more or less, or done more or less. Whatever we wish might have been different, may we accept it and understand it as best we can. And I invite you in your own heart to think of an issue in the life of the world that we wish could be different. Let's breathe out that loving and caring compassion that we feel for others. In stillness, let us send our own thoughts and prayers to those in pain or confusion. That our loving attention might also become a guiding, helping hand in a time of need. And may this be so for the greater good of all. Amen. Okay, you need your hymn book for this next reading. Um, if you could find hymn number 205. In this book. And have a look at how they've printed out these words of our next hymn, Amazing Grace. The first line starts, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And then you might spot a tiny asterisk next to that word wretch. And then it leads you to the bottom of the page and it gives you the choice of saying soul instead. So I'm just really grateful to Victoria Safford who wrote these words in reference to this little quirk in this hymn book. This is what she writes. So, last Sunday, when we were all singing Amazing Grace and we got to that bizarre moment in the first verse where our Unitarian Universalist hymn book slaps down an asterisk and a choice. What did you do? Which did you choose to sing? Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me or that saved a soul like me. <coughs> now, it probably depends, she writes, on how you were feeling that day. How particularly wretched or soulful. 
I know of no other hymnal in print that virtually stops the singing in mid-measure to poll the congregation, to call for a theological debate within the mind and heart of every singer. And right there, quickly, because the pianist isn't going to wait for you. You have to stake your claim, make your mark, testify. All the while wondering if the person singing next to you will take offence if you confess at the top of your voice that um, your own wretchedness or even our common condition as a fallen, faulty species. Or will your neighbour be annoyed or shocked if you stand there warbling on about a, what a pleasant soul you are? What a nice, well-rounded, fully individuated, sin-free, guilt-free, humanist soul. There you stand, frozen in time, and the music plays on while you hastily cobble a theology. We sing our songs in different keys and cadences. We're on our own to make a faith out of nothing, which is to say, out of everything we have. That is daunting, lonely work, demanding and rest relentless work. It's the work of a lifetime, and I suspect it is the very scope of it that keeps our tiny movement so small. Not everyone wants to stop in the middle of a song and consider once again, and all alone, the nature of the human soul and God, infinity without and within. It's a lot to ask people on a Sunday morning. So words from Victoria Safford. So you are going to have to make that very choice. Are you feeling soul-like or wretched this morning? It is your choice. But before we sing this song, let's think for a moment of its author, John Newton, not our very own John Newton, but <laughs> another version centuries back, who much of his early adult life was at sea engaged in the slave trade. It was only in 1788, 34 years after leaving that slave trade, that he renounced his former slaving profession by publishing a blazing pamphlet called Thoughts Upon the Slave Trade. The tract described the horrific conditions on slave ships, and Newton apologised for making a public statement so many years after participating in that trade. He wrote... It will always be a subject of humiliating reflection to me that I was once an active instrument in a business at which my heart now shudders. And of course he will not be alone, will he, in coming rather late to an understanding of our part in life. So let's sing his hymn, Amazing Grace, number 205. <laughs>
Exaltation by Linda Underwood. All this talk of saving souls. Souls weren't meant to save, like Sunday clothes that give out at the seams. They're made for wear. They come with lifetime guarantees. Don't save your soul. Pour it out like rain on cracked, parched earth. Give your soul away or pass it like a candle flame. Sing it out, I'll laugh it up the wind. Souls were made for, for hearing breaking hearts, for puzzling dreams, remembering August flowers, forgetting hurts. These folk who talk of saving souls, they have the look of bullies who blow out candles before you sing happy birthday and want the world to be in alphabetical order. I will spend my soul playing it out like sticky string into the world so I can catch every last thing I touch. Thank you. 
So let's take all that's been brought up for us by that, that still very moving folk song uh, into a time of meditation. There'll be a short spoken meditation. It's, it's about being lost and found and I'm inviting you to think of people and life circumstances and sources of inspiration that have helped you to come back to yourself in times when you felt yourself to be lost, in those really tough times of life perhaps, when, when your path was no longer clear, or when you realized that you'd taken a wrong turning. And if at this very moment you are feeling lost in one way or another, perhaps at a crossroads in life, where you're uncertain where next to turn, well, you might choose to imagine something that works for you, some higher self, some inner voice of guidance to help you through a time of uncertainty. Even if what is needed is to simply sit in quiet acceptance of not knowing at this time. And of course, as always in any Unitarian activity, feel free to think your own thoughts. So as we enter this quiet time together, when you might want to put down anything that you don't need in your lap, perhaps focusing on our candles, softening your gaze or closing your eyes, whatever feels right for you. Entering this time of meditation which will lead into a few moments of shared silence and that comes to an end with a chime from our Tibetan bowl.
So let's follow the gentle rhythm of our own breathing, aware of our feet on the floor, and the presence of us all in this room together, yet turning our attention inwards for a while. As I invite you to think of people and life circumstances, sources of inspiration that have helped you to come back to yourself in times when you were lost, when your path was no longer clear or when you realized you'd taken a wrong turn. Let us meditate upon that which helps us return to who we are. When we chose the title for this service, The Souls Lost and Found, we added the question, what does this mean for Unitarians? The word soul alone could take a long time to explore, couldn't it? I have got a special soul shelf on my bookshelves on this very topic, and I haven't read them all yet. So yeah, we could spend ages exploring soul. We could spend an awful long time exploring the lost and found bit as well. My own particular definition, for what it's worth, of soul would, would include the idea of an animating principle, if that makes any sense whatsoever, a life force which connects me with all that exists. As such, it has some individual characteristics and yet is part of something greater than just me. Excuse me for, for, for steering us completely away from any exploration of whether or, whether or not the soul exists beyond death. Who knows? I'm already on uncertain ground here. And I'd really rather continue this subject as a conversation with you some other time. So when you go out, there's um, a little green slip that's got that poem that, uh, Charlotte, you read for us so beautifully about whether we can save souls at all and, and whether we should rather be spending them instead. Um, and underneath that, there are a few questions to help us continue this conversation. As a, a Unitarian, I see the soul as a concept that may or may not be useful to us as we explore what it means to be human. I assert your right to form your own views about the soul and to change your mind about this on a weekly basis if you want to. 
All I'm going to say is that it's a good job that I wasn't around in the 6th century to hear the debate at a church council meeting as to whether women did or did not have souls. <laughs> now, a little bit of kind of Wikipedia-type investigation that alerts me to the fact that actually this story, which I've known for a long time, and I think I heard it from Karen Armstrong, um, it turns out it may well be more apocryphal than true, but it does serve my purpose. And blimey, I can imagine 6th century church fathers discussing this matter. Um, did, did women have souls or not? And, and in the end they decided that we did, but only by one vote. <laughs> Perhaps more seriously, it was certainly a topic for debate during the early stages of colonialism as, as white Europeans met indigenous people and wondered were they human or animal. It makes me shudder to think of. Deciding that they were human, but in just ignoring the fact that they already had rich civilizations and cultures, there then began that very shameful aspect of, of Christian church history as it formed part of that three-pronged approach of bringing so-called civilization, commerce and church to the so-called new world. Rudyard Kipling's now horrific description of the white man's burden. We have a lot to explore still, don't we, about this topic. But the concept of soul, well, that stretches back to earliest times. In, in animistic religions, a spirit is found in all that exists, both the living and in objects and landscapes, and indeed the earth itself. Interesting that this view is now one that some of us are finding our way back to as environmental crises wake us up to the importance of the Earth and all the elements of existence upon our planet. Water matters, surprise, surprise, especially when we have too much in a flood or too little in a drought or when bushfires rage and we long for rain. Air matters, especially when we realize that our car engines are poisoning it or powerful winds turn it into a destructive force. Now, personally, I found the concept, the whole concept of saving souls, which is, is present in a number of the world's religions, very difficult to hear of and offensive even. But perhaps that's more to do with the people who use such language and the power that they may be misusing. When they claim to be saved through faith, um, and then they think it's their God-given duty to save others. Ugh. Now, most, most of us, I think, hold a far more pluralist view that truth, if such a thing exists at all, well, truth is to be found in all faiths and none. Oh, and yet those, those Bible stories of old, some of which we'll be exploring in next week's service, those stories of a loving shepherd who stops everything to find that one lost sheep, even though the other 99 are happily munching safely in the field where they're meant to be, Oh, don't most of us at some time in life have that feeling of being a bit of a lost sheep? The foolish one, or the stubborn one, or the one who makes really lousy decisions and wanders off in a dangerous direction. Oh, and a loving divine presence that seeks the lost, well, that, that's a comforting image in life's horrible experiences, isn't it? 
the very idea of there being many aspects of ourself and that parts of us can get lost, well, that appeals to me. It makes sense to me, even as a metaphor. There's a story that, that stayed with me ever since I first heard it of someone from a busy, developed city travelling in another land and needing local guides to help them on the journey into the wild, carrying the travellers' bags and leading the way. On the first morning, they all woke up early, travelled fast, covered a great distance. Second morning was the same, third morning the same. And then on the fourth morning, the local hired helpers refused to move. Instead, they sat by a tree in the shade well into the morning. And the traveller, a busy person with an agenda to his life, became incensed and irate and, and said to the translator, this is a waste of valuable time. Can someone tell me what's going on here? And the translator looked at him and calmly answered, they're waiting for their souls to catch up with their bodies. <laughs> Haven't many of us known that feeling of parts of ourselves becoming fragmented, left behind or ignored, either by ourselves or others? And you may have heard of the shamanic concept of soul retrieval. It's a concept that really makes sense to me. A shamanic practitioner works with the principle that when we suffer an emotional or physical trauma, a part of our soul may leave the body in order to survive the experience. Any event that causes shock could cause this soul loss. And what might cause soul loss in one person may not cause that in another. And I think it's important to remind ourselves that soul loss is a good thing that happens to us because it is how we survive pain. In psychology, it would be called, I think, disassociation. As we start to feel more present in our bodies and in our world, well, then we can become more aware that aspects of ourselves are out of balance or inharmonious or that there might be something missing. When we're numb to what's going on, well, we may be aware that things are not right, but we can easily distract ourselves from, distract ourselves from needing to change. But when we're, when we're fully, fully inspirited, there's no place to hide. We find that inspiration to change. So an individual may experience soul loss, but it can also occur for a whole group, a nation even, where people are traumatised by war, by natural disasters, by tyranny. Truly, truly looking into the eyes of someone who has suffered from such collective trauma is a serious experience. It's one we remember. It's an experience that I've had sometimes with people in the midst of addictions, people in abusive home situations, people living on the streets. It's happening all around us, isn't it? And our task, I think, is to remember, not to ignore it or to forget, and to do all that we can to encourage our institutions, our, our governments and our other sources of assistance to pay attention to those who are lost. Not in some holier-than-thou sense that we can save another person, but in the sense that we, from our own struggles, 
can have an awareness of another person's pain, another person's vulnerability, another person's yearning for things to be different, better. Isn't that our responsibility as citizens on the streets of London to not close our hearts down to the pain of other people in the midst of their problems? And in our own lives, let us encourage one another to find metaphors that work for us, that assist us in explaining to ourselves and others how we are experiencing life right now. And if we are feeling lost, as surely most of us do from time to time, well then let's shout out for help. And if we are in our time of strength and plenty, then let's be sure to share what we have for the others that we meet along our path. Amen. Poet David White writes of the times when the tide of life seems to have left us stranded on the beach. In the week ahead, if we find ourselves lost, may helping hands reach out to guide us and may we find the brave voice within ourselves that knows how to shout out and seek support. And may we stay awake to all those who are lost in life around us, on the streets of our busy city, and do what we can, however small, to brighten their days and ease their troubles. Amen. Amen. Go well and blessed be. Thank you.